you're doing triathlons specifically, let's talk about the average triathlete, you're going to be getting maybe at best two or three sessions per week in the pool. So my focus would typically be for a triathlete to maybe do one session of technique endurance, one session of red mist endurance, and one session of CSS development. The Triathlon Show 132. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael, once again recording from an airport, going back to Portugal this time, and today's episode is an interview with Paul Newsom, founder of Swim Smooth. This is a long interview, so it will be split into two parts, with the first half in today's episode and the second part in an episode to follow on Thursday. But before we go into the interview, this episode is sponsored by Precision Hydration that makes getting the right amount of electrolytes to fuel your training and your racing easy. You can take Precision Hydration's free online sweat test on precisionhydration.com. You answer a few quick questions like, for example, do you get salt stains on your clothes after training? And uh, how much do you tend to drink? All different sorts of easy questions that you have the answer to in your head already. No need to do any advanced maths or anything like that. And that will give you an estimate for how much sodium and electrolytes you need in your hydration to make sure that you don't deplete your electrolyte stores too much and that will then allow you to individualize what sort of electrolyte products you buy and of course I recommend that you get them right off the Precision Hydration website. You can get your first box for free when you use the discount code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. So again, that's precisionhydration.com. Now, just quickly before the interview with Paul Newsom, to give you a little bit of a background on him, he is the founder of Swim Smooth. He coaches thousands of people every year through uh, Swim Smooth in, uh, the me- by means of his local squad in Perth, Australia and through international courses and clinics and he is also a coach education consultant for British Triathlon. Paul is British but uh, lives in Perth, Australia for most of the year. He has also written one of my favorite triathlon books of all time which is called Swim Smooth, the complete coaching system for swimmers and triathletes and Swim Smooth as you heard in a past episode a few episodes ago is uh, one of my absolute favorite resources there is for triathletes so without any further ado let's get right into the interview with paul newsom welcome to that triathlon show paul newsom it's uh, great to have you here thanks very much michael thanks for having me the topic for this interview with uh, you is uh, structuring triathlon swim training, and that's something that you have talked a lot about uh, in your Swim Smooth uh, blog, your newsletter, and your book, of course, all of which are resources that I highly recommend any triathlete go and have a look at. So let's start by talking about the main types of workouts that you tend to prescribe for triathletes. 
Absolutely, Michael. Yeah, so I run a, a coaching program over in Perth in Western Australia. Uh, we have around about 450 adult swimmers partaking in that event. And uh, we've actually just had our 10th uh, birthday as a uh, squad over there in Perth. And on a weekly basis, we run uh, several different types of swimming sessions. So I'm very familiar with this Um on a Monday morning, we start off with a pure technique session, which involves plenty of drill work and uh, focus on form and technique. Uh, many of those swimmers have performed a one-to-one video analysis session with me, so they know specifically what they need to work on. And the session itself as a squad session then focuses on uh, typical areas which we can all develop and improve upon. So, for example, I'm just over here in uh, Mallorca at the moment uh, on the beautiful coast of um, Colonia San Jordi, where I've been as part of the uh, Best Fest Open Water Swimming Festival over here. And um, one of the things that we've been talking about on the courses that we've been running over here for the coaches is this notion that during that pure technique session, we definitely want to be focused on key areas such as what happens to the stroke when somebody goes to take a breath. So even without maybe even seeing your stroke, for example, Michael, I, I would know that pretty solidly that when you go to take a breath something if something's going to go wrong within your stroke that's when it's going to occur so and that session on a Monday morning the pure technique work focuses primarily on on those things which can help people improve their swimming quite simply and in a time efficient manner and on a Tuesday we then focus on what we call technique and endurance so this brings into yeah, we still do quite a bit of technique, uh, drill work, etc. at the start of the session, but then we build in some longer distance intervals, um, typically centered around CSS pace, which I will uh, come to in a, in a moment because we have a very specific CSS uh, development session as well. Um, but the intervals tend to be a little bit longer on that session, um, somewhere between, let's say, 200 and 600 meters. And we typically swim those at around about CSS plus three or four seconds per hundred. So it's not really, really fast, um, but maybe similar to half Ironman or even Ironman sort of sort of pace. Um, we also factor in quite a bit of pull boy paddles and even band work during that session as well. So the idea being it's a little bit sort of um, strength endurance as well in inverted commas. And my favorite session to deliver of the week is what we call our red mist endurance. So that comes up on a Wednesday morning and it's by far and away the hardest session of the week. So with this session, I wanted to create something which um, really challenges athletes, um, specifically those people doing Ironman type of distance or maybe 5, 10K in the open water. It's a very, very challenging session. It's our longest session of the week. It's, uh, it runs for an hour and a half. And uh, some of my top swimmers can get close to six kilometers done during that session. Um, as I'll talk about a little bit more later, probably, um, that session doesn't actually have a warm-up. Uh, we get straight into it just as you would do during an Ironman. So that seems a little bit uh, a little bit strange maybe the first time you do it, but it's, it's a very, very good challenging session. Um, we have two more of it, two more sessions or two more types of sessions. We have what I call then our CSS development session. So CSS stands for critical swim speed or the threshold pace, which uh, an athlete can typically maintain for 1500 meters. We'll do testing, testing for that uh, in the preseason. Um, it's very easy to test for CSS pace. It's performed using a 400 meter and a 200 meter time trial. And the calculation, which is very simple, just looks at the rate of drop off between your 200 meter speed and your 400 meter speed. So typically somebody who might describe themselves as like a, a diesel engine, i.e. somebody who can sustain a good pace for a long period of time, i.e. Ironman athletes, um, will actually sort of see the drop-off, rate of drop-off between those two uh, paces as being very, very, uh, very, very small. 
Equally, somebody who's maybe got more of a sprinting background might be able to hold a very good pace for the 200, but their uh, pace will actually drop off for the uh, for the 400 meters. So we can use the um, use the little calculation in the preseason to work out which lane people need to be in, and then equally what their uh, focus might be going forwards for for the rest of the season. And my final session is a brand new brand new one. We've only been doing this for around about 10 weeks now. We call it our Saturday Stoic session. So we've been given the opportunity in Perth to actually run an additional session on a Saturday morning, which I'm thrilled about. Um, it runs every Saturday morning from 5.30. I encourage my triathletes to come along to this one and then probably back up with a bike and a run. So a big brick session on a Saturday morning. The Saturday Stoic is almost a blend of all four of those sessions. So the Pure Technique, the Technique Endurance, the Red Mist and the CSS. And we keep a um, a bit of an open water theme running through that as well. So we might do short turns. We might do uh, some drafting work. We might do um, swimming, you know, very, in very, very close quarters with each other. And uh, generally, it's quite a quite a good fun session, which uh, appeals to quite a lot of my swimmers and triathletes. So, uh, yeah, those are the session types, uh, Michael, which we do. Great. And uh, let's go into a bit more detail on each of those. But first, I'll just uh, uh, give a short uh, note to the listeners that uh, the CSS calculator, you have it on your website. So we'll link to that in in the show notes. So you can just add your 400, 200 meter times there, and, and that will give you your your CSS pace right, uh, right away. Uh, but uh, for the technique, uh, I'm curious, like, how do you... You said that many many athletes have done a video analysis, so they know specifically for them what uh, they should be doing in terms of technique development. But what what about those athletes that haven't done that? What's your take on like doing uh, drills that may be generally good, but you don't really know if they're, for example, you haven't seen me swim? Would you be able to prescribe a technique session that you think would be beneficial for me even without that? Or what's your take on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, not everybody has uh, performed a, um, a video analysis session, um, but when we uh, when we work through the um, the particular pure technique session, there we we do use some general drills uh, which can help uh, you know a variety of different factors. And when I uh, when I perform that particular session, what I like to do is actually split it up into very clear sections. So the swimmers within the squad know very clearly what we're working on. So, for example, section one, the warm up might be focusing on posture and, al- and alignment which we can all obviously benefit from. We then might focus on uh, body rotation. We then might shift over to catch and pull through and might finish off with some work on rhythm and timing. So we might get the tempo trainers out and do a little bit of work on stroke rate uh, during that latter part. I think the I think the key thing to remember is that even if you haven't had a video analysis performed, there are key areas within the freestyle stroke which like I said before, many people can actually benefit from. Um, the classic thing being that when somebody goes to take a breath, if something's going to go wrong, that's when it will go wrong, when you're taking a breath in. So the classic things we've, which we might see people doing are crossing over it in front of the head. So we do a great little drill, uh, which we call the javelin drill, which involves a swimmer utilising a pair of fins, kicking on the side with a, a really cool piece of equipment, which we call the um, Finis. So it's made by a company in California called Finis who we uh, do a lot of work with. Um, it's a freestyler paddle, so it's a little pointy paddle, basically, with a keel on the underside, which is designed to fall off your hand if you cross over in front of the head. So just to test that sort of generic notion that um, if something's going to go wrong, it'll go wrong when you're breathing. Um, if somebody does cross over when they're 
taking a breath on that particular drill, the paddles, the paddle itself is designed to fall off your hand. So it gives you immediate feedback, which for me as a coach on the side of the pool is great because I'm sort of directing the session. I know that this drill will work and it will help people. And, you know, the swimmer can then obviously see exactly what's happening um, because they can feel this paddle dislodging or, or not within the stroke. Um, one of the other drills, which I drill sequences, which I really like to do as well, is um, a bit of sculling into a little bit of doggy paddle and then into freestyle. And that's usually performed with a pull boy between the legs. And this really highlights the initial part of the catch and pull through within the stroke. It's a great little drill sequence. Um, you literally perform it with your legs floating up behind you. So you're on your front. You have your lead arm or you have your arms extended out in front of you. And usually with your head up out of the water. And all you're trying to do is do these little sculling motions in and out with the hands to in sort of synchronization and it should almost feel like you're mixing hot and cold water together and the key thing for moving forward if you've ever tried this drill before and um, some people struggle with it and what they're tending to do is drop the elbow so as they really reach forwards just like they might do in their normal stroke their elbows might be lower than their hands in the water so the key message here is to always remember to actually keep your fingertips a little bit deeper than the wrist and the wrist a little bit deeper than the uh, the elbow and that skull motion should then take you forwards so we'll typically do michael um 12 and a half meters sculling 12 and a half meters doggy paddle so that'd be head down uh pulling through underneath the water and actually recovering the arms underneath the water it should almost feel like you're pulling yourself along a rope or climbing up a stepladder, reaching from one rung to the next. And I find that to be a really good. It is it is a generic drill, and uh, we do it in pretty much every session that I uh, that I conduct over there in Perth and with my other coaches dotted around the world. It's just a really, really good sequence to get people to uh, just feel the water at the start of the session. So you might hop in, your arms might feel a little bit sort of floppy in the, in the warm-up. You might not feel connected with the water, and that's one way you know, four times 50 meters of that drill is just a really good way to reestablish that uh, that sensation of feel. So a couple of follow-up questions on the structure of this technique workout. What would a typical total length of the workout be for, let's say, an intermediate triathlete? Sure. So we do have, um, all our sessions are graded from, uh, let's say, from beginner to um, very elite. Uh, some of the top swimmers in my squad are, uh, racing at a uh, national and international level in both swimming and in um, uh, swimming for the open water and for triathlon. So for the intermediate athlete in that particular session, we might get in uh, within the hour, we might get somewhere between 2.4 and 2.7 kilometers uh, done in that session. Some of the faster swimmers might get uh, more like 3 or 3.2 kilometers and uh, some of the, the newer swimmers maybe more like uh, 2, 2.3, let's say, uh, kilometers in that hour. But the key focus on that session is not the distance they're trying to get in. I, I, I say to everybody at the start of that session, look, this is an easy session in terms of intensity. It's your chance to actually focus on your technique during the session. And um, if that means that you miss one or 200 meters because you're not keeping up with the uh, the general pace of the squad, then then so be it. I prefer you to actually perform these drills correctly uh, before we go into the, um, into the main set or before we go into the harder sessions, I should say, of the week. Yeah. And uh, what about you mentioned there with the with the sculling doggy pedal freestyle drill that you you do drill and then you go into freestyle to, uh, I guess, get a feel for or incorporating what you learned in the or exaggerated in the drill into your normal freestyle swimming? Is that something you do a lot that, like that, drill yeah. into freestyle? 
Yeah, that's exactly correct. I mean, I, I think it's very important, um, you know, with, with doing drills and things, it's always important to remember that the reason you're doing those drills are to make you swim more efficiently um, in full stroke freestyle. So if you were to just do drill after drill after drill with plenty of rest at the end of each lap, but no trans, um, you know, no transfer into the normal freestyle, then those drills can become quite sort of alien to the normal freestyle stroke. And people get very good at doing drills, but not so good at improving their freestyle swimming. So wherever possible, I'll always try to get the swimmer to go for, immediately from the drill into the freestyle. And, you know, we're very fortunate in Perth that we've got, um, I think it's actually the highest population of 25 meter, sorry, a big one of 50 meter uh, Olympic size swimming pools of anywhere else on the planet. So um, with a population of just over a million people, uh, we have in excess of 30 public 50 meter pools available to us. Um, and that's not including any private swimming pools uh, for the schools, etc. So um, these 50 meter pools are excellent for drill work because it does give you that opportunity to maybe do just half a length or 25 meters of, of a drill and then without having the even the interruption of turning they can then go straight into the uh, into the freestyle to actually feel that transfer of the skill across into the stroke and uh let's move on to the second the the endurance uh and uh endurance plus technique uh, session with uh, yes. with sort of slightly slower than css what would a typical structure if you go into a bit more detail maybe even give a specific example of a session Sure, sure. Okay, so this session might have a warm up of let's say eight hundred to a thousand meters, and might incorporate a little bit of the technique work that we did the the previous day. Um, so, for example, we might pop the fins on. We might do a drill which we call the the broken arrow drill, which is a great drill. It, again, it's with the fins on. You're kicking on the side, but. Um, as you kick on the side, you raise one arm straight up to vertical, almost like a sailing mast, pause for two seconds, and then break the elbow, as it were, and spear into the water from there. And this is a really good uh, way, especially for triathletes, to sort of feel like they're actually trying to um, loosen off the upper back, the thoracic region, and also their shoulders as well. Many swimmers, when they swim with a wetsuit on uh, and doing triathlon, try to swim with a, the classic sort of high elbow recovery over the top of the water. And this often looks really, really pretty. Um, but if you're trying to almost force your um, your elbow really high over the top of the water against the resistance of a wetsuit, that can actually fatigue the shoulders much, much quicker. So the broken arrow drill is a great way to prepare somebody, especially a triathlete, for almost like a like a slightly straighter arm recovery action. Um, if you watch the likes of the Brownlee brothers, for example, they don't swim with the classic high elbow recovery. They swim with a, a more open, up and over type of action over the top of the water. And that's because they, they're trying to, A, get across um, or get a, 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 um, above waves and chop, uh, swim around plenty of other swimmers, and uh, and also not to fight against the uh, resistance of the, the, the neoprene as well around the shoulders. So the broken arrow drill might be a drill that we incorporate in the warm-up there. I then like to move on to a little bit of work with pool boy paddles and or bands. So the idea there would be to, um, you know, sort of isolate the, the catch phase of the freestyle swim stroke whilst um, under a bit of resistance. Bands, if you've never used them before, um, typically the, the, the best way to think about this is almost to imagine a, a rubber band tied around the ankles. And um, it's not a very um, enjoyable exercise the first time you try it because for a lot of people, the you know one of the biggest things holding somebody back is poor body position in the water. So, without the use of the legs at all, and if you're trying this exercise even without a pool boy, you'll feel like you're almost sitting vertical in the water. 
And the idea behind this exercise is to, we only do it over very short distances, like 25 or 50 meters. And the idea would be to push off in a really good torpedo position, tilt the pelvis, stretch through the core, and try to focus on keeping a very good momentum within the freestyle swim stroke. So as you know, Michael, swimming in the open water is very different um, to swimming in the pool. And things like swell and chop and waves, which we've had plenty of over here in sunny Mallorca just recently, uh, really knock around people's uh, momentum. So the idea of using these bands in this strength or technique endurance session, um, just in you know in small uh, spits and spats, is just to sort of encourage you to actually get that rhythm and momentum going within the stroke. And then we might finish off with, um, let's say, something like four times 400 meters. So this session as well is similar sort of length to the Pure Technique session. We only have an hour for it. Uh, but we might finish off with something like four times 400 meters at CSS pace plus four seconds per 100. And the swimmer would find that um moderately challenging but very much doable it's not something that's going to stress somebody out too much and um css place plus four is around about what you'd sustain for a, an ironman type of swim so when the distance is only 400 meters and the session itself is not that long four times 400 is is, is quite doable but one of the things that we use for that is uh, a little thing called a finney's tempo trainer so for example uh, let's say um, somebody in the middle pack um, might be swimming at let's say 140 per 100 meters for their CSS. So what I do is I actually set the tempo trainer for a pace of 144 per 100 meters, so CSS plus four seconds per 100. Um, and how I do this is to actually set the tempo trainer to beep at that swimmer every 26 seconds. And all they need to do is for the 400 meters, they just need to make sure they're staying with the beeper every 25 meters. So they're getting to each 25 as the beep goes. And if they do that, they know that they swim the, um, the pace of 144 per 100 for the 400 meters. So that's sort of what that technique endurance session looks like. What about uh, the recovery times? When you mentioned there, for example, the four times 400, I think this is something that uh, that is important to talk about because not everybody might have a handle on how to think about recoveries between intervals. What, what's your guidance on how long recoveries should be? That's a really good question, Michael. Um, so recoveries really do make or break a, a training session like this. And when somebody's operating at a pace below threshold pace, they can, you know, they can typically afford to take uh, fairly short recovery uh, recovery times. I think it's a major mistake for triathletes and really anybody focusing on distances of 400 meters above um, to take too much recovery between their intervals. Because you know, of course, we could all do four times 400 meters with two minutes recovery between each one it feel like a dawdle but then you sort of uh, lose some of the um some of the purpose some of the physiological benefits of that particular session if you're taking too much rest so i'll often express the rest recovery period um ba based on um the cycle time so for example if we just use that last example four times 400 meters at css plus four i mentioned that the tempo trainer might be set to beep every 26 seconds if the swimmer completes the 400 as the beeper goes i might be asking them to take one beep recovery which in this case would be 26 seconds rest between each one and then the swimmer doesn't need to worry too much about uh, having a watch with them or using the, the the pool clock they can just listen out for the audible feedback of the of the tempo trainer to 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 prompt them to set off again and um, so on that particular session and keep the re recovery times relatively short obviously that would be a, a work to rest ratio there of uh, you know uh, one uh, one part rest to 16 parts work which is, is quite a short recovery period relative to the distance 
Mm. Let's move on to the red mist. Uh, you teased a little bit that this is a really hard one, and I have done it uh, yeah. myself a few times, so so I can uh, testify that this is indeed the case. Can you talk about how that workout uh, goes about? Absolutely. So this one really, um, I, I have to uh, thank my uh, coaches of from previous years, Chris Jones, Robin Brew, uh, Richard Hobson back at the University of Bath for, uh, for this one, because this is a session which we used to do every Monday morning or a version of it. And I used to absolutely hate it as an athlete. And I think I used to hate it because my, one of my weaker areas when I first got into triathlon was I had quite a bit of speed, but not the ability to actually maintain that speed over, over a long distance. And this was really evident when it came to a race I could um I could go very fast in the first two or three hundred meters and get myself in the lead pack but then start to struggle quite significantly and and that's not you know it's not so much a, a physiological problem it's just the fact that I hadn't trained myself correctly and and you know people give me advice you need to slow down you need to pace yourself out better etc and you know as a as a hot-headed young 20 year old I uh, I thought oh what do they know I'll just get fitter and stronger and da, 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 da. but the reality was that this session that we used to do on a Monday morning it, it really is the bread and butter of uh, of what should be many triathletes training programs so the, first, the that initial session was always ten times four hundred meters, which in itself sounds quite boring. Um, but utilizing the tempo trainers, I've actually created a way to make it hopefully a little bit more engaging. So a typical ten four hundred set might look like four times four hundred meters at CSS plus six, uh, f- uh, three times four hundred meters at CSS plus five, two times four hundred meters at CSS plus four, and then four hundred meters at the end at CSS plus three. So you're sort of ranging between plus three as the fastest one to plus six seconds per 100 meters, which, again, is not terribly challenging when you think about it in an isolation of just a single 400. But you get this sort of cumulative effect of 10 400s in a row getting gradually quicker as you're getting gradually more and more fatigued on very, very short recovery cycles. So, again, I'd probably take one beat recovery between each one. So that was the original idea behind the 10 400s. But... um, the um, you can imagine if I'm running a squad for 450 people and each week they're turning up to do a red miss session and it's that same red miss session every single week whilst I'm quite happy to do that by myself and I do do that every single Monday morning myself um, that's not really going to gain me many uh, many favors with the swimmers so I over the years we've actually created um, I believe now we have something like 165 different versions of this red miss session which all try to have the same physiological goals, so they get, try to get the same physical, physiological effect, uh, but just with varying things around a little bit. And one of the things that we've developed for that is we do these things called red mist cycles. So I just mentioned they're using the tempo trainer set per 25 metres where the swimmer is instructed to stay with the beeper. So that means it a, becomes a very, very precise pace. You're either with it or you're not. And sometimes if you are having a, a, a very bad day, it can become psychologically a little bit di- uh, disillusional uh, to sort of drop behind the beeper. Uh, equally, if you're having a really good day, sometimes the tempo trainer uh, set like that can actually feel like it's holding you back. So these red mist cycles, very basically, let's use that example again of somebody who's swimming 140 per 100. Well, if they're doing 140 per 100, it means that every 50 meters they're doing, it takes them 50 seconds. So this red mist cycle, let's take red mist cycle five, would be basically 50 seconds per 50 meters plus an extra five seconds. So RM5 for that swimmer would basically be um, in mode two on the tempo trainer, 55 seconds. 
So it's a little bit like using the, the, the old-fashioned pool clock at the end of the pool. And what the swimmer is then instructed to do is they say, look, okay, you can do your 400 meters here. It's on RN5. What you need to do here is you need to get ahead of the beeper. And however far ahead of the beeper, like a cycle time, that becomes your rest recovery period. So somebody might be tempted to go out um, and gain five seconds for every 50 meters they do, and that would give them 40 seconds rest. But this would then see them swimming at threshold pace for that 400 and potentially to try to do that pace for four or 5,000 meters, which physiologically for most people would be actually impossible. So rather than actually being able to gain five seconds per 50 meters, they would typically be gaining two or three seconds per 50 meters. And it's just a it's a slightly different psychological way of doing that type of session. And you can get quite creative with it. Um, so my swimmers know that if they see on the board uh, RM8, that's going to be um, their threshold pace plus eight seconds per 50 meters. That's going to be a relatively generous recovery period. Um, equally, if they see popping up on the board RM2 or 3, they know they're in for a bit of trouble today and <laughs> and it's going to be quite a, a hard, challenging session. So I like to mix and match those things. It's all based around that original 10 400s that we used to do at Bath University every Monday, which did used to get a little bit boring. But um, you know, in hindsight now, as a coach myself now, and having completed sports and exercise science at Bath University, I now realise why my uh, my coaches back in the day were, were giving me that set, and uh, and it truly is a it truly is a great one. So, like I say, we've got many many ver- versions of that to keep people uh, engaged uh, with the the variety of it now, and, uh, and it's a good one. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, what about the CSS development uh, session again? If you can give uh, an example, like you've done with these previous ones, to illustrate what it might look like. Yeah, sure. So hopefully it'll be quite quick on this one. Um, I, I have an absolute favorite, which your uh, your listeners can listen to, uh, listen, uh, can go through with this one. It's what I call the Goldilocks set. So once you've identified your CSS pace, and you can do that, like you mentioned before, on the uh, from the show notes, swimsmooth.com forward slash training, plug in your 400 time trial time, plug in your 200 time trial time, work out what your threshold pace is, and then you can do what we call the Goldilocks set, which is basically three or four times 100 meters at that pace, followed by a 200, and we call that the baby bear, then three or four 100s at the pace again, followed by a 300 at the pace, which we call the mama bear, and then three or four 100s followed by a 400, which we call the papa bear. So the idea behind this, Michael, is to sort of show people that CSS pace, once you've identified it, by itself and over 100 meters isn't that you know it's not it's challenging but it's it's not certainly not impossible but this becomes a very progressive set by going from 200 meters at that pace to 300 meters to 400 meters at that pace and by the time you're onto the 400 you've already covered 1700 meters at your threshold pace um, with a 400 meter remaining so this really highlights if people have become a little bit gung-ho and gone a bit too fast in the in the early part of the session then by the time they get to the 400 they're really struggling to actually keep up with it and that'd be the same sort of sensation that you get during a let's say uh, an olympic distance triathlon uh, towards the end of the 1500 if you've gone off too fast at the start you know that last six or 700 meters is really really going to come back and bite you and that's when you start to drop your pace uh, your places within the uh, within the race Perfect. For CSS development uh, sessions or CSS sets that triathletes might make for themselves in general, what do you recommend being the total distance of the main set at uh, around CSS pace for various levels, like from the more beginning swimmer to the advanced swimmer? Absolutely. A key... 
the key thing I try to do is to ensure that even my beginner swimmers within the squad still get the opportunity to do, let's say, 14 or 1500 meters total in the main set at that pace. Um, my faster swimmers might go up to anything like 2.4 Ks or you know, I have some very, very good um, national standard open water swimmers in the squad. And if we have a little bit more time, they might even extend it up to uh, to like 3,000, 3,200 metres in the main set. It does get quite challenging, obviously, over those distances. But um, if we're thinking about speed, you know, I've got somebody who's swimming at, let's say, 155 for threshold pace versus somebody who uh, is swimming 105 per 100 metres at threshold pace. And I do have a couple of those guys. Um then I'm trying to look at the cumulative time as opposed to the distance. So I want to give them a similar sort of time spent at threshold pace, um, you know, and that sort of varies between, let's say, 1,400 and 2.4, 2.5 kilometers in the main set. What about uh, the if you if you have these sessions, but uh, one thing that uh, a lot of travelers might now think is, uh, hey, where's the speed work? Uh, is that something that you incorporate more infrequently or is that something that you don't really consider important for for this audience of triathletes and more for pool swimmers sorry just missed it there michael uh so speed work that's something that we haven't talked about is that something that you don't really do much and uh, uh do not consider that important for triathletes and open water swimmers that's a really really good question and um, i think a lot of it comes down to the fact that if you're doing triathlons specifically, let's talk about the average triathlete, you're going to be getting maybe at best two or three sessions per week in the pool. So my focus would typically be for a triathlete to maybe do one session of technique endurance, one session of red mist endurance and one session of CSS development. And some of our CSS development sessions go faster than threshold pace, which you'd then be into that zone of uh, an inverted commas speed training. Um, and we certainly do a session which we call the spike set, which is borrowed from uh, Grant Hackett's coach uh, back in the day, which was a series of 40 times 50 meters on progressively increasing recovery cycle times um, and progressively increasing frequency of sprinting, um, which makes for allowing the athlete to actually really get the speed up. Um, so that set, if you're wanting to try it yourself, goes like this. It's 16 times 50 meters sprinting every four, 12 times 50 meters sprinting every three, eight times 50 meters sprinting every two, and then four times 50 meters sprinting each one. And to use our RM cycles at the start, we might start off with RM4 for the 1650s. So that will give the swimmer about three or four seconds rest between each one. The next little block of 1250s, RM7. So it's going to give you about seven seconds rest. The uh, next block of eight would be around about RM10. So it's about 10 seconds rest. And then the last block might be RM13, which is going to give you about 13 to 15 seconds rest between each one. In reality, probably even a little bit more than that, because all four of those 50 meters are sprinting at the end. So it's not like we devalue speed training. It's, I think it's, and it's this, I'd have a similar sort of uh, philosophy on this to uh, strength training as well. It's all about management of time. You know, we're all time strapped. If you've got a busy job, you've got family, you've got social life, uh, you're capable of training, let's say, 10 to 12 hours per week. It comes down to a matter of of getting in the most important sessions that are going to make the biggest difference uh, to your swimming if you do have a little bit of extra time then sure a, a bit of a speed session uh, will help and you know we try to actually incorporate um 
in the back end of some of those sessions, uh, maybe let's say four or eight times 50 meters at the end of the session, um, just with a little bit of fun sprint work, which might uh, involve a little bit of drafting or race simulation, sort of like a deep water start with just a bit of a fast um, fast go with that. But I think just to uh, just expand a little bit on the science behind that, the when you look at the doing the CSS test, the 400 and the 200 that test was uh, the css is it's often attributed to us at swim smooth but really css training has and, and css testing has been around since the early 1990s um, when i first got a uh, power meter myself uh, in 2006 i read training with power by hunter allen and andy coggan and was just totally inspired it's still one of my favorite books um on anything to be honest with you it's so well written and really helps uh, triathletes understand why they're training with power on the bike so when i first got this book i was like oh my god there must be something out there which is easier than lactate testing with blood testing to actually analyze a, a swimmer's threshold pace similar to ftp on the bike and this was a simple test which i found and in the early days the testing was done for 450 meters. So the 400 looked at how aerobically conditioned the swimmer was and the 50 meters, uh, obviously a sprint, looked at how good anaerobically conditioned the swimmer was. So when you when you look at that, um, over time, the 200 meters has, has been seen as a more valid way to test the true rate of drop off between um, you know, sprint speed, if you want to call it that, and uh, and your ability to sustain speed over longer periods. Um, but when you look at that, the the the, um, the rate of drop off there tells you a lot about the particular athlete. So if I've got somebody coming into me and they're maybe from a team sport playing background, let's say soccer or rugby, chances are the rate of drop off is going to be really quite high. I.e., even if they're technically not that sound in the water, they're still going to have plenty of power and strength and the ability to really force out a very, very good speed over the, the 50 meters or in, in these days, the 200 meters, but they're gonna drop off quite significantly over 400. So when you look at that, very, very simply, it makes no sense really for that particular athlete to do plenty of speed work with lots of rest and recovery, because all that's going to do is it's going to make them a lot faster at the top end, but the rate of drop off potentially is going to even increase between the 200 and the 400. So we tend to spend most of our time in the squad sessions for time strapped athletes around that sort of red mist endurance slash CSS pace, um, because it's a, it's a pace which is very, very important for them, not just in terms of getting uh, physiological benefits from that, but also to uh, help them with their pacing as well. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. What about uh, periodization of, uh, of the training year? How do you incorporate that in your training? I don't. <laughs> um, interesting enough, when I when I first started coaching, my first proper full time gig um, was in 2002, and I was working for the Stadium Triathlon Club in in Perth, where I, I stayed for about three or four years. And in this new role, I was fresh out of university. Sports and exercise science was my degree. My favorite areas in sports science are physiology and biomechanics, specifically the biomechanics. And I was this fresh eyed bushy-tailed uh, young coach who wanted to impress all the athletes that I was coaching. And I produced this highly intricate periodized program based on all the testing and studies I've done at university. And the reality was that in in delivering this to a group of um, you know age group triathletes who could, again, only swim two or three times per week, um, the, the, the periodization that I put in place was just way, way too intricate. And I think... It, 
I think this issue has become even more um, of a paramount concern these days because back in those days, in 2002, this particular squad would always build up for one particular event at the end of the triathlon season, which was a half Ironman event in May. So in that case, because knowing that most of the swimmers in the squad were actually periodizing for that, or sorry, uh, building up for that event, it was really easy to sort of put this periodized program in place to prepare you know the the vast majority of that for that event but these days you know 16 years later there are so many different types of events on the calendar you know i'm doing the personally i'm doing the race in uh, in september with my partner uh, from from bath university actually andy blow who i know you've had on the show michael yeah. um, the, there are events like the swim run there are aquathons there are aqua bikes there are triathlons there are trail runs there are so many things that that are actually cropping up on the scene that I think it's very, very difficult these days to actually truly periodize a program uh, for the event. So what I do um, over in Perth, I, I sounded quite flippant when I said I don't periodize, but what I do is I keep that structure, which I mentioned beforehand, the pure technique, technique endurance, red mist, CSS, and then the Saturday Stoic session. And I encourage the athletes to um, you know, work. A lot of my athletes actually work with individual triathlon coaches who will know that format and will sort of say, okay, look, you're coming up to a big race this weekend. Don't go and do that Red Mist session on Wednesday. It's going to absolutely destroy you. Um, instead, focus on the technique endurance on the Tuesday and let's have a couple of lighter days leading into it. So I see my role as a squad coach um, to actually keep a very consistent routine going year in, year out. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of triathletes make is that they'll typically use the winter period um, you know, for base training. Um, and that base training will typically involve lots of really, really slow, steady swimming, maybe with a high focus on drills and technique. And whilst that's not too bad in terms of developing the technique, it can lead to this period whereby the you know, threshold pace, a key factor of good swimming tends to really start to drop off so i prefer my swimmers to year round be using that structure and to sort of tap into it as and when they can do so again it sounds a little bit flippant to say that i wouldn't periodize but i try to keep that established routine the consistency of that routine because when you speak to the world's best triathletes and open water swimmers and you talk about periodization they many of them don't you know they'll they'll peak for an event but they what they what everybody talks about is uh, is the consistency of their training program the routine that they actually establish and you know this was really highlighted for me when i was at university by um one of my former training partners and a very good friend of mine tim don who uh, up until very recently held the world record for the Iron, Ironman distance uh, triathlon, but unfortunately got knocked off his bike last year just before Kona. And, you know, Tim, Tim as a junior was always very, very good, but my coach at university always said, yeah, you, you, I think you can get there. I think you can try and try and race against Tim and, 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 and be as good as him. But, that, that obviously never eventuated and my coach in talking to him uh in talking to Tim about and reflecting back on his couple of world titles and this was you know we're talking 15 years ago here now Tim's still obviously racing at a very very high level and is making a brilliant comeback at the moment Tim just said look the reason he had become so successful was he had missed very little training through injury and illness and he just established that consistency his program wasn't particularly fanciful or anything like that and it was just this ability to actually keep the routine going and so I've, I've very much taken that on board with my own training and uh, obviously with, with triathletes and swimmers that I try to influence as well. 
I really love that answer, really, and and it's uh, you're not the only one who who's talking about this this kind of concept of not periodizing, keeping the consistency throughout the year. Uh, I remember well one interview that I've done for the podcast, but it hasn't been released because we had technical issues, so I lost all of the audio. We're trying to reschedule, but John Keeley is a researcher from the UK who has uh, published uh, research on on the fact that uh, I think they're titled things like uh, periodization. Uh, I don't even remember the title, but uh, but but it's basically questioning even the science behind periodization for very valid reasons. When you when you read those papers, and in more practical terms, I talked to Malcolm Brown, for example, about not really periodizing, just keeping a consistent structure. Uh, same with uh, yeah. Dean Gollish, who is uh, also an Olympic coach of of cyclists and and triathletes. So so that it's um, yeah, there, there's a lot of people that are following that and there's a lot of uh, good very good reasoning behind it so it's very interesting to to hear that uh, that take definitely i think you can still you can still get the progression of course you know the progression comes from like retesting of css pace or using our we've got a little thing called the css tweaker tweaker which allows you to you know as you make as you feel you're making improvements just obviously tweak your pace and uh, and go forwards from there but yeah i'd be very much in agreement with those coaches and a lot of that just is just born from experience i mentioned that the period my view on, views on periodization as a young coach were purely from this sort of bright eyed bushy tailed approach and wanting to do the right thing but without the, the without really the experience to back it up whereas these days i've done a lot of testing on myself as a guinea pig and with my athletes and uh, just to find find what really works so you know i guess we're finding our way there through experience these days for sure yeah, and I think probably for for age groupers, it makes even more sense to not really periodize because they're not going to be uh, limited as much by being completely trashed by the end of the season because they just haven't had the time to train to the amount right. of hours that would be required for that. So so they can just keep keep going rather than, as you say, take a step back and drop in in their threshold pace and and so on. So uh, yeah, a lot a lot of good reasons for that. All right, so I hope that you enjoyed part one of this interview. Stay tuned for part two on Thursday. If you aren't already subscribed to the podcast, I recommend that you do that. Subscribe so that you don't miss it and you will get it as soon as it's released. For this episode, as for all other episodes, you can find the show notes on deathtriathlonshow.com. Any questions or comments you have about this episode, leave them on that show notes page. Please uh, do not email me questions about specific episodes because if you have a question, then others will have the same question. So by posting those questions in the comments, I can answer to you as well as to others at the same time and be much more effective. Uh, So uh, I appreciate you leaving your questions specific to the episodes uh, on those show notes uh, comment sections. I've also linked to in the show notes, by the way, and as well in the episode description in your podcast app to a web page that I have where I've collected all my previous interviews and episodes on the topic of swimming. Uh, so you can click through to that and you can see all past episodes. Like, for example, some of the most popular ones I've done are interviews with Jerry Rodriguez in episodes 3 and 107. And the one with Rory Buck in episode 70. So go and check those out. Again, I'll link to the the landing page for all swimming-related content in the episode description. 
Finally, big thank you to everybody who has been contributing to the podcast by rating and reviewing on iTunes and on other podcast apps. You really are the best, guys. I can't thank you enough. We're now well over 100 five-star ratings on iTunes globally. Leading the way by a mile is the United States, where more than 60 of you have rated the show five stars. And uh, if you are a long-time listener and you do enjoy the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could uh, give a couple of uh, your minutes to the course of that triathlon show by by giving it a rating and review on iTunes. And if you like it, I would, of course, really like it to be a five-star rating and review. Finally, thank you so much to Precision Hydration that help keep the show alive. Precision Hydration is my go-to resource for any sort of long training or training in the heat, as well as for preloading for competitions to get hydrated and get uh, topped up on electrolytes and in competition as well, of course, to get my hydration right. You can find them on precisionhydration.com. Remember to take their free online sweat test to learn how you should hydrate because one size does not fit all when it comes to hydration. And if you have never bought from Precision Hydration before, you can get your first box for free by using the discount code THATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon. (laughs) 